Jesus bless each and every one of you. Let us go to the book of Malachi, chapter 3 and verse 10 and 11. Malachi, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Bring ye all other thighs into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Let us say amen. With the help of the Lord, I'll share a message with the title, The Tithe of the Lord. The Tithe of the Lord. Amen. Let's begin firstly by explaining what a tithe is. It can simply be defined as 10% of one's annual produce or earnings. Amen. Notice, 10% of one's annual produce or earnings. In other words, some people may not uh, earn an income. They do not see the fruit of their labor in the form of uh, a monetary exchange, money, currency, etc. But until recently, in fact, most of the world uh, produce goods and uh, they the cost was invested in these goods so they would eat either barter the goods or they for instance if you had 10 sheep you would take one sheep and give it to the lord it was that concrete so this is the definition of a tithe now before we begin to talk about the tithe, we need to really talk about uh, who is supposed to pay a tithe. A tithe is, you can call it, although we don't like the term tax, but it is a tax unto God. And God does not tax or does not really expect a tax or tithe from those who don't know him. Amen? It makes sense. Can we say amen? <laughs> you see, even when your government asks for a tax, it does so with the understanding, there's a mutual understanding, that uh, there are some responsibilities and... Uh, uh, expectations involved. There's a contract, if you will, a pact of sorts. So the government promises to protect you and uh, take care of you in some countries. We'll talk about all of this. So God does not have such an agreement with those who don't uh, care about it. Why, why will you pay taxes to Will I pay taxes to, um, let's say, Japan? 
I, the Japanese will wonder what's wrong with me, with this guy. Why is he paying taxes for us? Uh, the Japanese gov government has no contract with me. So it, it just is meaningless for me to pay. So a person who doesn't know God and doesn't uh, want to enter into a covenant with Jesus, uh, it doesn't make sense to pay him a tithe or offerings. So God expects first a person to give himself or herself to him. Can we say amen? Once an individual is saved, the key word is saved, which means he or she believes that God is one and alone. But this is the first command in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Jesus confirmed, affirmed the scripture in the book of Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 32. Once you believe that God is indivisible, he's one. There's no divisions in him. There's no trinity in him. He is one and alone. The next thing you have to believe is that this same God was manifested in the flesh. According to the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy 3.16. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. We have to believe this. His name is Jesus. Everyone else's name was chosen and or revealed by a father, earthly father or mother. But only Jesus' name came from the throne of heaven. God only named himself. God did not allow any human being to name him. Because that child born in Bethlehem, according to Micah chapter 5 verse 2 is the Son of God, the flesh and blood of Jehovah. God is not going to allow others to name him. Not Joseph, not Mary, no one. He himself gave himself a name. God is the only one who can name himself. None of us can do it. Praise God. Hallelujah. So he sent an angel by the name of Gabriel speedily to a city called Nazareth. And there he revealed his name. And what a wonderful name. What a wonderful name. The God who was known as Jehovah. The one who exists in himself. The I am. Now he added something beautiful to that name. Yasha. Jehovah has now become our savior. By this name he chose to be called. And we gladly call him by this name today. And we receive salvation in this name today. Praise God. Ah, oh, hallelujah. What a wonderful name. Can we say what a wonderful name? So, his name is Jesus. And once you believe all of this, then we have to do something with this knowledge. You know, there is some knowledge which is so powerful, you can't just sit and just say, hmm, interesting. No. It should get you off your seat, off your comfort zone and you should shout men and brethren what shall we do because this this knowledge is too powerful hallelujah i i i have to do something and acts chapter 2 verse 38 says peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus 
for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Wow. That's our part of the covenant. God has done his part. He revealed himself to Moses as one God and now he revealed himself to Peter and the other apostles as Jesus. God manifested in the flesh. And John. And John said we, we touched him. We beheld. We held in our hands that which was from the beginning. The word of life. Hallelujah. Powerful. If you know what we are talking about. Jesus is God. And with this knowledge you must repent of your sins. You must repent of whatever else you believed in before. Because everyone believed in something. Whatever it was. It was sinful. You can't compare whatever you believed in before to this knowledge. This is the true saving knowledge. If you didn't believe in anything, you believed in yourself. You need to repent of that. Of relying upon yourself. And believe in the one through God, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. And after that, you must be baptized in his name. Because God has cursed the old order. We are carrying a flesh, a body which is cursed. It can never enter heaven. And God loves us so much. He wants us to remove that flesh in the waters of baptism by faith in his name. And in the waters of baptism, God himself will clothe us with his own body. You put off Adam and you put on Christ. And you are now prepared to go to heaven. Hallelujah. I mean, this that it's a wonderful deal. Praise God. There is no ifs, there's no buts, there's no discussion. Just do it. As the famous Nike slogan says, just do it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. We hereby recruit and co-opt Nike, hallelujah, in the apostolic mission. Just do it. Just do Acts 2.38. Just obey it in Jesus' name. Praise God. So the thing is now, hallelujah, you have to also seek the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is Jesus himself coming to live in you. Last Sunday in our conference, I it's a very poor analogy or example, but for whatever it's worth, it's like whenever I sit in a, um, commercial, I mean, uh, uh, you know, plane, aeroplane, modern uh, commercial, uh, you know, plane. Um, I'm always astounded. I never cease to be amazed at the uh, the power involved in lifting off off these huge uh, jumbo jets. Uh, you know, it's just just mind boggling. It's so powerful. And you know, a lot of petrol is going into that, yeah? Jet jet fuel. Uh, without that jet fuel, there's no way you're going to lift off a uh, mighty, uh, you know, uh, jet that weighs, I don't even know how many tons. But uh, we are talking about some incredible scientific, uh, you know, uh, feats here. In the same way, we will not experience spiritual liftoff without the Holy Ghost. We need Jesus in our engines. Hallelujah. 
With Christ, I can do all things. Amen, Paul said. Once God is in us, the hope of glory, we will experience lift off. Even on that day when Jesus comes in the clouds, hallelujah, what we call the catching away of the bride, the rapture, praise God, amen. Give me Jesus in my, in my engines, in my wings, hallelujah, praise God. So I've shared with you, and this is not my message, but you see, we can't talk about tithing unless we first talk about the target group. Who is God speaking to? God never revealed the covenant of tithing to outsiders, only to his people. Praise God. So I'm talking today to those who have fulfilled the plan of salvation. Once we understand this, then God is speaking to you. And he's commanding you and me who are saved to tithe and bring our offerings. In fact, he began that scripture in the book of Malachi by saying, Will a man rob God? Wow. Will a man rob God? That's, that's a mighty statement coming from God. What? Rob you? How can we rob you? You own everything. You are everywhere. You see everything. Yes, Jesus is God who is omniscient. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipotent. But he, he could even see when, when uh, Judas was robbing him. He told everyone. The only person who didn't know was Judas, <laughs> that he was robbing Jesus. Imagine. So people rob God. God knows about it. And God in his mercy gives us space to repent. He gave Judas three years to repent. He didn't, and in the end, it didn't end well. Will a man rob God? We can't rob God. We must come and confess our crime against God. We've robbed you. He said, how did you rob me? In tithes and offerings, he said. Not me. My job is to preach the full counsel of God. That's a good ministry. Amen. A minister should not preach what he feels like preaching. You need to preach the full counsel of God. And today's tithing. Amen. I'm not here to condemn anybody. This is for me, myself. Praise God. So, to begin with, God owns everything and provides for our needs. Yeah? Somebody may say, why should the Christian tithe? Well, to begin with, God owns everything and he provides for our needs. Let's go to the book of Psalm, chapter 50. And read verses 10 to 15. Five scriptures there. Eh? The book of Psalm chapter 50, 5, 0, verses 10 to 15. Listen to what God says. For every beast of the forest is mine. Wow. Just stop and think about it. Every beast hmm. of the forest is mine. And the cattle upon a thousand hills. Think about all the cows you've ever seen. Think about all the sheep and the goats and uh, every kind of animal you can think of. God said they are mine. He said, I know all the fowls of the mountains. Wow. He knows every bird. He knows them by name. He doesn't need a tracking device. 
you know, I love those programs on animal planet, etc. These guys, are, oh, this is a new bird. Oh, this is a new lion. God already knew that from the beginning. Amen. He says, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. Think about the, 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 when I went to Kenya, Masai Mara years ago, uh, twice, I've been there twice. They always say we need to find the big five. The big five. The lions, you know, the giraffes, the crocodiles, the uh, hippopotamus, etc. God is saying all the wild beasts of the field are mine. Then he goes on to tell Israel, if I were hungry, I would not tell thee. <laughs> By the way, God never becomes hungry. But if he does, he said, I, would, I wouldn't tell you. Because what are we going to feed God? He said, for the world is mine. And the fullness thereof. Just think about this. He said, will I eat the flesh of bulls? Or drink the blood of goats? No, no, God does not do such a thing. He says, offer unto God thanksgiving. Wow. So what do you want, God? Because we can't give you this. We can't feed you. And you don't need anything. He says, offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. And here is where tithes and offerings come in. And he says, and call upon me in the day of trouble. See, it's a mutual contract. So, okay, you give to God. What we should give to God. And then he says, call upon me in the day of trouble. Hmm, that sounds great. I think I, I, we all experience many days of trouble. I will deliver thee. And thou shalt glorify me. <laughs> Praise God. Ah, somebody shout hallelujah. Praise God. This, this is a great deal. Let's think about this. Let's think about this. He is giving us a guarantee. You pay your vows, pay your tithes and offerings, and he says, I will deliver you when you call upon me in the day of trouble. All we need to do is go on our knees and say, Lord, praise God, I'm in trouble. Deliver me, and he will deliver you. Praise Jesus. Amen. You know, there are many people now in Norway, unfortunately, where we live, uh, who've been affected by uh, a storm that hit. A lot of precipitation, rainfall. We, we, we are calling it a 50-year flood of sorts or, or rainfall. And some houses have been swept into the rivers. And uh, it, it's a terrible hole. You know, caravan camping places have been destroyed. Uh, the water has wreaked havoc in Norway. Billions of dollars worth of damage. Uh, I'm also in Hawaii at this moment. Uh, we need to pray for the state of Hawaii in the USA. Many, many people have been killed by wildfires. Uh, uh, it's, it's like the planet is, is grieving. It's heaving and grieving. Uh, it's painful to watch. And then uh, we need to pray that God will comfort and uh, heal. Uh, the elements seem to be, uh, you know, raging. And uh, may I remind you, that Jesus himself said that in the last days before he returns, may I remind you, he said there will be such signs. Let me take you to the book of Luke chapter 21 and verse 25. Sorry for the quick digression, but Luke 25, 21 and 25. Luke 21 and 25. There shall be signs in the sun. Yeah, signs in the sun. 
Do you know that this could mean that there will be severe climate changes uh, because, you know, has the sun become hotter? No. But it's a sign in the sun and in the moon and in the scars. And listen, and upon the earth, distress of nations. Are we not experiencing distress of nations with all of these weather phenomena, acts of God? With perplexity, they are surely causing perplexity. I've seen strong, powerful men break down. You know, these storms can come and just twist your house. That's why they're called twisters. They twist and they twist your life. And that's why they call it the acts of God, because they, they leave you shaking like a, like a you know leaf. And God, Jesus said, the sea and the waves roaring. Don't be surprised in years to come. If there will be more and more of this, the waters are going to be a sign. There will be no flood of Noah, but the sea and the waves are roaring. I mean, that means God is not happy. He will speak through the waters to the world because of our sins. May God have mercy. May God have mercy. I always pray for my property. I lay hands and I say, Jesus, this is your property. Nothing will touch this house. It's dedicated to you for prayer, for worship, for your work. And God always keeps it safe. Amen. But my point in mentioning all of this is, imagine all the people now who don't have uh, insurance. Yeah. And the water has flooded their homes, destroyed much of the inventory. You know, sofas and uh, shelves and kitch kitchens and... Uh, all you need to do is just order a skip and get rid of everything. And who's going to replace all of that? Well, hopefully they have insurance. So in the same way, God is saying, pay your vows, pay, say, tithe and offering is our insurance policy with God. That is another way to look upon. Amen. Because surely one day the hurricane will come or the, uh, the wildfires will come and the thief will come. And Satan will come, who is called the devourer. And at that time, you need the insurance company. Uh, sorry to use that analogy. God is not an insurance company. But he's our insurance. He delivers us. He said, I will deliver you. Call upon me. Praise God. Amen. So we need to understand this. But these scriptures in the book of Psalm chapter 50, verses 10 to 15, they indicate that God does not need anything from us, but the opposite is true. Let's say the opposite is true. We are dependent on God for our every need. Somebody shout amen. Yes. God is saying, I don't need anything from you guys. Have you thought about it? What is it that God needs from us? Did God not exist before he made us? Well, what, what does God need from us? No, we should say we need God. And, you know, we see this principle that I'm speaking about demonstrated in the life of Abraham, the friend of God. Let's turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 14, verses 19 and 20. Genesis, chapter 14, verses 19 and 20. The Bible says in Genesis 14, verses 19 and 20, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham, or Abram of the Most High God, 
possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the most high God, which had delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. He gave him tithes of all. So notice that God first blessed Abram, after which Abram gave him tithes of all. Please notice the, the order here, the, the chronology. God first blessed Abraham, after which Abraham gave tithes to God. So this is the first principle of tithing. Amen. God, we don't have anything. God says, okay, you are saved now. From today, we'll make an agreement. I will bless you. Amen. Let's say, God, you were only having $100. And then you get saved. And suddenly, within a month, you make $200. That means you know that God has increased, given you an increase of $100. Amen. This is divine providence, a work of God. That is the first thing here. You should understand, you should be able to quantify even. And I use that word advisedly, quantify God's blessing in your life. You should be able to say, I know I had only this much. Now God has given me this much. And this is the blessing of God. This is miraculous. This is not by human ingenuity. This is not through any skills or adroitness or slate of hand. This is the finger of God. Hallelujah. Because one of the biggest problems people have when it comes to tithing is uh, they can explain it away. Uh, the weather was nice this year. I, I was lucky. That's where the problem lies, brothers and sisters. We first need to differentiate. We should be able to discern between the blessing of God and coincidence. Le ne let us never call the blessings of God coincidence or luck in Jesus' name. Jesus, help us to know the difference between the two. Amen. Blessed are you if you know exactly what God blessed you with, which you could not get in any other way except through the hand of God himself. Praise Jesus. Amen. Praise God. So, we first need to ascertain, determine what is the blessing God gave me. So, God blessed Abraham. How, how did he bless Abraham? He reminded him. He told him, Melchizedek is God himself, a manifestation of God. He made it clear to Abraham. He said, Abraham, God delivered these five kings into your hands. Can somebody say amen? <laughs> Praise God. Simple. Five kings God gave you. It was God, Abraham. It's not your strength. It's not your army. That's why Abraham gave him tithes of all. Of what? Of the blessing God gave him. Amen. Praise God. It's like God coming and telling you, uh, in case you forget, in case you jump to conclusions, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> uh, you're not a military commander, are you? Yeah. 
you uh, have no training with some Delta Force or the Mossad or whatever. Uh, so you know that. You're just a nomad. Yeah? How do you think you defeated the five kings of the plane? The God of heaven and earth. He enabled you, Abraham. He gave you this incredible military victory. God will remind us of his blessing. And he leaves it to you to give your tithe and your offering. Nobody else should come to you and say, excuse me, I think that, uh, uh, you know, I've checked your life and I, I get the impression there's money coming in. And I want to remind you about your tithe. That's none of anyone. That's no one's business. No one's business except that person and God. No one's business except Abraham and Melchizedek. Let's say no one's business except Melchizedek and Abraham. Stay out of it. Praise God. That's why we don't talk much about this topic. We just teach once in a while, very rarely, uh, because we want God to speak to people. You know, I, I don't personally really appreciate it when pastors and leaders are just every second message is about money. Uh, you know, we sometimes, we hound people out of the church talking about money. Jesus did not like people doing business in his house. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of thieves. No, we want prayer in the house of God. And God knows how to speak to people about their finances, their tithing, their offering. Amen. So let's come back to our topic. So we see that in the life of Abraham. Yeah, God reminded him that he blessed him. He gave him power to defeat these armies. And Abraham knew that. And that's why he gave him fives. He could quantify, amen, the blessing that God gave him. So that's the first time we come across tithes in the Bible. But then it continues because I'm I, want, I need to first establish that tithing is not something that came with the law and finished with the law. It was there before the law. And it will continue to be there after the law. So the next time we come across tithing is in the life of Jacob. The Bible says Jacob gave to God he gave God a vow at Bethany. Let's go into Genesis 28, verses 20 and 22. Genesis 28, verses 20 and 22. Genesis 28, verses 20 and 22. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, if, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. And then verse 22 says, And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Notice, of all that thou shalt give me. Amen. We need to know what God gave us. I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Uh, one problem with Jacob, and we are no better than Jacob, is that he began the vow with a condition. If God be with me. In other words, his vow was conditional upon God giving him food, clothing, and protection. Uh, a bit sad, isn't it? 
you sometimes want to ask is, is this guy really the grandson of Abraham? You know, he, the Bible says he was going from Beersheba to Haran and uh, he had no intention to pray. He just lay down on the ground to sleep. He was not a man of prayer. That is the, the first problem in the life of Jacob. He never prayed. He was trying to find shortcuts his whole life. He wanted the blessings of Abraham, but he did not know the God of Abraham. God have mercy. Before you get the blessings of Abraham, you need to know the God of Abraham. You need to have a relationship with him. You don't go to sleep without praying in the name of Jesus. The man did not go down on his knees. He just went down on his side. And what happened? He didn't sleep well. When you don't pray, you don't know God, you don't sleep well. Here's a man running for his life. He doesn't know what the future will bring. He should be praying. But the mercy of God, let's say the mercy of God, even for those who don't pray, but you have a call from God. There was a ladder, a ladder, let's say a ladder to heaven. Let's say Jesus is a ladder to heaven. We go up and down in him. When we pray, we are climbing a ladder. Amen. It's like climbing a ladder. You need to work. You need to labor a bit. Hallelujah. You know, angels don't need a ladder. Yeah? The Bible says the angels were going up and down. Uh, when is the last time you, saw, you heard of an angel climbing a ladder? It's not the angels who need a ladder. It is we who need a ladder. Prayer is a ladder. It needs some effort. With each step, you come closer to the throne of God. Keep praying, praying until you come to the throne of God. Because there is a promise, a promise up there. I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and you. You know, when we don't pray, we don't even know who we are. We don't know where we are going. We get lost. God have mercy. But when you pray, your father, Jesus, will tell you who you are. He will remind you, amen, amen, hallelujah. I am your God, hallelujah. I came in flesh for you. I died for you. I rose up for you. I'm preparing the new Jerusalem for you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Only prayer can tell you who you are and who your God is. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you don't pray, you will not know. Amen. Brother Paul can tell you whatever he wants, but you need to hear from Jesus yourself. Hallelujah. And so Jacob woke up. He realized he's in trouble. He doesn't know this God and uh, he was trying to steal from him. <laughs> you know, the God who you steal from will find you. Will find you one day. He stole the blessing of Abraham. And uh, he doesn't pray. If you want the blessing of Abraham, at least pray. Be a person of prayer. Hallelujah. Begin the day with prayer and close the day with prayer in Jesus' name. So God was with him, but still, still, because the man didn't know God. God told him, I am the God of... He said to him, I will protect you. I will be with you and I will bring you back. And still he says, if the Lord will, you see. The thief has no trust in God. A robber does not trust anybody. Though your name may be Jacob. 
Ah, I, I don't want to be a robber with my God. I trust him. Hallelujah. I don't need to tell him if you will give me clothes. Can, can you imagine? He said, if you give me clothes. If you feed me. God just told him, I will give you all of these things. I will protect you. I'll be with you. And still he's saying, if only then will I give you my tithes. <laughs> you know, God is merciful. God is merciful. But God was not happy. And so 20 years, God punished this guy. <laughs> God allowed him to be cheated, to be robbed by his own family members. You know, we shouldn't, we can't insult God and get away with it. He's our father, but he'll teach us a lesson. He loved Jacob and nobody suffered more than Jacob. The man, you know, there are horrible ways to be cheated. Imagine you wake up your wedding night, morning, and you find out your wife is not your wife. Yeah. Uh, God was now teaching him a lesson. Don't make such covenants with me. Don't insult me. Amen. Praise, trust in me. Hallelujah. Praise God. If you want to wake up with the right wife, God bless you. Hallelujah, man. If you, <laughs> if you want to make sure your wages are not changed 10 times, hallelujah, you better trust this God. You better give him your fight from the blessing. He anyhow said, I will bless you. If, do you know what God told him? Through all nations will be blessed through you. God gave him the same blessing that he gave to Abraham. And the man is still speaking nonsense. God have mercy. I'm not better than Jacob. I'm not here to ridicule him. I'm just saying that was when he was Jacob. We need to get serious with God. We need to trust him with our money. We need to trust him with clothing, with food. We need to trust him with all these things. When you hear there is inflation. Ah, and you say, oh my goodness. No, you shouldn't panic. We have a covenant with God. Amen. God will make sure you will eat your food. Amen. Some of us anyhow need more inflation. You know, they're complaining the food prices have gone up. Some of us need to eat less like me. So I'm not complaining. Hallelujah. I said, oh, wonderful. Uh, I'll eat less now. Amen. And I'll lose weight and I'll be healthier and do more for Jesus. Uh, don't misunderstand. <laughs> I know there are poor people who, who are suffering more and uh, etc. But we need to keep things in perspective. In the West, I think uh, one of our problems, we call it first world disease, is uh, being overweight. Yeah? So the point is here now, God will provide he forgot that the name that God gave, Abraham gave to God was Jehovah Jireh. His grandfather is a man who gave us that term, Jehovah Jireh. My provider, hallelujah. And the man is saying, if God will provide. If God, what? Young man, do you know who Abraham is? Have you heard of how God provided a ram miraculously on the mountain, Mount Moriah? Well, what's wrong with you? Which house did you grow up in? Are you sure that Isaac is your father? You know, I was telling the church, sometimes your grandfather can be Abraham and your father Isaac, but you may still say to God strange things like, if God will provide clothes for me, only then will you be my God. God have mercy. Let's see the mercy of God. Let's say God is merciful. 
If there is hope for Jacob, there is hope for me. After 20 years of punishment, he became Israel. Hallelujah. The man learned how to pray. The man learned how to fight. The man learned how to give to God. The man came back towards uh, the land of Canaan with angels surrounding him. Mahanaim, a company of angels. Hallelujah. God warned Laban. He warned Esau, don't touch Jacob. Don't speak to him. This is my servant or he would kill them. Hallelujah. God will change us from Jacob to Israel. And we will pay our tithes and we will pay our offerings unto God. Hallelujah. Because he loves us. He's patient with us. Amen. But we need to learn. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. But before we judge Jacob, in fact, in the area of tithing, let us remember that tithing is the only ordinance where we are invited to test God. Did you know that? Because in, in, we read in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10, what did God say? Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith. Prove me now means test me. The only time you can test the Lord your God is in the area of tithing. Praise God. God kept his promise to Jacob. He prospered him. Despite Laban's attempts to cheat him, God brought, protected Jacob, brought him back safely to the land of Canaan and his family. Now, in our modern times, we have to consider this notion of the state, the state, the government, because the state has usurped the role of God. Yeah? Uh, there's a French philosopher by the name of Michel Foucault. And this man observed shrewdly how the modern state apparatus behaves like a pastor. Imagine, he's not a Christian, he passed away. But he actually looked at the modern states and he came to the conclusion. He said, hmm, we pay taxes. We expect protection and even social benefits from the state. For example, in Norway, where I live, there is free schooling and medical care, among, among others. Foucault was from France, yeah, a Catholic country. And he concluded when he observed all of this, that citizens now confess their sins to not to a priest, but to the state. You know, the Catholics have this tradition of going to the confessional box. Father, I've sinned. And they reveal the details of their sin secrets to the priest. Uh, so Foucault concluded that uh, modern citizens and modern states in the West in particular, uh, we are always confessing to the government. We fill out our tax forms. We fill out our medical information and it is given to the doctors. They're always typing, 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 typing. You know, when you look at how much typing they do, Sometimes you just think, yeah, I'm just confessing. They're writing everything down about us. So what else did you feel today? What did you do? What did you earn? Your activities, your medical history, even your mind. What do you feel? Are you normal? Are you depressed? You know, they, we have confessed about the sins or weaknesses of our mind, our body, our, our uh, economic activity. Have you thought about this? We, Foucault, called, his theory is called 
the theory of governmental pastorality. That means how the government has become our pastor. <laughs> Very scary. The first time, I no wonder I was interested in it because I'm a pastor. And uh, uh, let me just share my screen with you, if that is possible. And uh, you can see a quote from uh, this man, uh, Michel Foucault. He passed away. But have a look at this statement by Michel Foucault that I'm sharing with you on the screen. Uh, others who are listening cannot see, but if you just Google him and you'll find this quote that I'm reading from, a very incisive, uh, revealing quote. Michel Foucault says, the most defenseless tenderness and the bloodiest of powers have a similar need of confession. Western man has become a confessing animal. In other words, even the very weak. That means, just think about those who go to psychiatrists. I'm not saying it's a sin to go to, but just think about it. What do they do? They go to a psychiatrist, yeah? And say things like maybe, uh, you know, my mind, basically, I'm no longer in control of my mind. And the psychiatrist will say, why do you think so? What happened? So the defenseless have a need the uh, the weak and the vulnerable have a need to confess. And at the same time, the powerful, the state, also, they need you to confess to them. What are you doing? How often do you travel? What is your carbon footprint? Have you taken the COVID-19 vaccine? And I, I'm all for it. But let's not forget, all of this is part of this Confession. The government has become the priest. We are the confessors. So this is very interesting. I'm not saying either way. I'm not condemning or I'm just saying this is a fact. So we have to, uh, Michel Foucault was concerned with the increasing use of st state surveillance and our complicity or our docility in creating a state that controls our every activity. He called it panopticon. That's another one of his theories. That means today we don't think about it. In a place like London, you could go for a short walk and you probably would be picked up by maybe 200 cameras within a short space of time. 200 cameras. They would even know where you are when you wouldn't know where you've been. We accept all of this. And we know, by the way, the Antichrist is going to use this system when the time comes. But the issue is, you know, I always have a problem with this Google, uh, uh, you know, feature where I haven't asked for it and I probably should switch it off. But they want to give me a timeline of where I've been. It's like, wow, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, David said. Are you God? Are you trying to play God? What's going So let's... Break it all down and say, what's all this got to do with tithing? I'm, my point is that sometimes if, we, if we're not careful, we allow the government to play the role of God. But remember what Jesus said, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, Caesar, to God that belongs to God. Mark chapter 12, verse 17. Let's not mix the two. Jesus answering said unto them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So, 
while the Christian has certain responsibilities to the state, we must never forget our duties towards the God of heaven, Jesus. Amen. So we need to be very careful. And by the way, the New Testament does not eliminate or do away with the ordinance of tithing. We have that in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Matthew 23, 23 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. So Christians tithe because God owns everything and generously provides for our needs. To tithe is to recognize and acknowledge God's providence and generosity. Can we say amen? And that's a quote worth repeating. To tithe is to recognize and acknowledge God's providence and generosity. By tithing, the Christian demonstrates his or her belief in God's power over the created order. Amen. When you tithe, you actually demonstrating your belief in God's power over the created order. Let's not forget, while God causes his sun to shine and rain to fall on both the just and the unjust, only those who are the children of God and enter into the pact of tithing with God can expect to enjoy supernatural increase and protection. Somebody say amen. So God gives sunshine and rain even to the wicked. I'm sure even a guy like Hitler and Stalin and Idi Amin could not complain that, hey, God, God is not letting the sun shine on me. He didn't give me rain. God gave them all of it. But the difference is, those who tithe can expect a supernatural blessing and increase and protection. Amen. This is the main difference. God promises to supernaturally increase the Christian's income or produce, after which the Christian acknowledges his blessing through the giving of tithes as Abraham did. So in other words, to put it differently, we tithe because we know our increase is a result of God's intervention. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody, don't you want some divine intervention? Oh, hallelujah. Some of our lives are in desperate need of divine intervention. Praise God. Amen. We are tired of no divine intervention. We need divine intervention. So we know that our increase is not due to natural talents. It's not due to luck. It's not due to human favor. It is purely a result of divine fiat, God's command from him. Increase, God says. Don't you think that God said, the God who said, let there be light cannot say, increase, I command you to increase. Praise God. I command you to multiply. Amen. In the life of this brother or this sister. Praise God. May the word of God come to you today to increase, to multiply, to produce abundantly. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. This morning while we were, I was eating breakfast, a man knocked on the door and he just asked me, he said, uh, in very poor English, he was from the Ukraine. And he said, uh, 
your apples, your fruit, there's a lot of fruit, but nobody's picking it up. Can I take it? I, I want to make an, you know, cake, he said, apple pie. I said, oh, hallelujah. Uh, take everything. Amen. Sister Sarah gave him some more uh, plastic bags. Help yourself. A garden is bursting with fruits, gooseberries, plums, apples. And I was just thinking about it, about the message for today, as I saw him. He said he'll come back on Monday evening. I said, feel free, praise God. Uh, be blessed, hallelujah, go, amen. And I was looking at these fruit and because they're bursting, it's like God commanded them to multiply and, and somebody from Ukraine is benefiting from it because food is very expensive at this moment. And so I thank God that somebody is able to benefit and be blessed. And I was trying to speak to him a little bit. We are Christians. And uh, I talked a little bit about the war and Putin. And I said, we are praying for Ukraine. His name is Rostik. Rostik. We pray for Rostik in Jesus' name. May God uh, bless him. May there be peace in the Ukraine. Praise God. So let's turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7 and verse 13. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7 and verse 13. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 13 says, He will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb and the fruit of thy land, thy corn and thy wine and thine oil, the increase of thine kind and the flocks of thy sheep in the land which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee. Oh, praise God. Let's receive it. This is the promise of God. He never lies. He will multiply and bless us if we keep his commands. And in Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 22, Deuteronomy 14 and verse 22, the Bible says, Thou shalt truly hide all the increase of thy seed. Notice the word increase, that the field bringeth forth year by year. Amen. God is blessing the land. He's blessing it supernaturally so that the people of God will enjoy it and be blessed. Hallelujah. If you haven't tried this miraculous covenant with God, you should. And you'll be amazed at how it works. By the way, I can tell you, I've never seen people who tithe uh, really suffer financially. I know many people over the years. I have known the Lord for 37 years. And I can tell you, when I look back, all of those people, if they lose a job, they find a new one quickly. And they're always blessed financially because they take this covenant seriously. Why do you think Abraham had abundance of gold, silver, camels? Well, you think all of that just came out you know, for no reason? The man lived with the principle of tithing and giving to God. That's why. He seemed to be, um, you know, Swiss bank, hallelujah. Filled with treasures, hallelujah. So, God make you a Swiss bank, if that is what you want to be. Uh, but pay your tithes and offering and God will open the windows of heaven. And he promised, he, he didn't say, I will give you enough for your needs. Do you know that God openly says, you will not have room enough to receive it. In other words, um, it's going to be excessive. 
you 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 just it may shock people. People say oh, that person is perversely rich. I, I don't like that term, but well, God promised to open the windows of heaven. We are not communists. I appreciate some principles of Marxism, but uh, and I don't call myself a capitalist. But these are these isms are not for us. But uh, what I call myself is a tithist or a givist or whatever your offering is. Praise God. We are <laughs> before there was a capitalist or Marxist. There was a people who give to God. Amen. And that's where we are. Hallelujah. May God fill your account, your house, your dwelling with so many blessings because of giving to him that there will be no room. You have to open many savings accounts. Praise God. May you have 50 savings accounts and five accounts in, in Switzerland. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> we always associate some sinister stuff with, with having accounts over there in, in Switzerland, but that's another issue. Uh, let's continue. So, let me come to the last part. You see, one may wonder why God chose the number 10. Why do you think 10? Is it an accident? God just loves that number for no reason? No. You see, it appears from the pages of the Bible that this number is associated with God's undisputed authority. I like that term. Let's repeat it. 10 is God's undisputed. I like that adjective undisputed because Pharaoh disputed the authority of God. Who is the Lord? But let me tell you, after 10 plagues, Pharaoh was not even around to say, who is the Lord? Pharaoh was drowning in the waters of the Red Sea. He couldn't speak. He couldn't challenge God. By the time God hit him with the 10th, with number 10, he was finished. The authority of God is complete with the number 10. Can somebody shout hallelujah? Praise God. So what do you mean by this? It's simple. 10. The first judgment, the river turns red. He's still arrogant. He's still talking. Second judgment, frogs. He's still talking. Although I was preaching how every frog in the bed of Pharaoh, in the toilet of Pharaoh, was saying, repent, repent, repent. <laughs> God had millions of preachers preaching to him to repent through the frogs. Hallelujah. Ah, praise God. God is mercy. You don't want to hear one Moses? You will hear God will multiply Moses by the number of frogs in your country. And each one will remind you, repent, thus saith the Lord. Let my people go. Oh, praise God. And our friend still kept talking nonsense. So God continued. God is patient. By the time God came to the number 10, say undisputed authority. Do you want God's undisputed authority in your life? You know, if you give him 1% of your income, uh, Pharaoh will still be talking. He said, who is the Lord? My magicians can do the same things. Then you give him 2% and he can make frogs. <laughs> but when the 10th judgment came, Pharaoh was dead in the Red Sea. Praise God. So we need to understand in the Bible, the number 10 is a demonstration of God's undisputed authority. 
It was only after the 10th plague that Pharaoh was broken and relinquished his authority over Israel. Isn't it? God was so certain before the 10th plague that Israel would be free that he commanded them to put on their shoes oh, and prepare to depart Egypt. How about that? God knows that when the number 10 comes, it's showtime. Amen. It's over. God even told them, put on your shoes. Yeah? On judgment number 9, he said, put on your shoes. Because number 10 is coming. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. I want un the undisputed authority of Jesus in my life. Praise God. I put on my shoes. And I'm waiting for God to now send the number 10. Complete that number. It says in the book of Exodus chapter 12 and verse 11. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 11. Thus shall you eat it. With your loins girded. Your shoes on your feet. And your scarf in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. That is the Lord's Passover. Praise God. At the number 10. We can be certain his undisputed authority will be stamped into every facet of our lives. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Again, we have what happened after that. Once God established his authority over Pharaoh, Egypt would never forget, the world would never forget till today, 10 judgments, say 10 over the land of Egypt. Then he brought Israel to Mount Sinai. And he gave them 10 commandments to establish his authority over the nation of Israel. Oh, hallelujah. 10 commandments to establish his authority over the nation of Israel. From that day forward, God's word would be stamped into every area of their lives. If they obeyed these 10 commandments, they would be blessed above all nations. Praise God. We know. Every year we read the blessings of Deuteronomy chapter 28. I don't need to read all of them. But if you keep the commandments of God, what happens? Deuteronomy 28 verse 1 says, It shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. On high. Woo! Praise God. I believe when people serve God, they love God, then they truly, that nation, it will be set on high. Praise God. So we need to believe this. Amen. Because it's true. God never lies. Hallelujah. Uh, and we need to understand even... I believe it was that um, when they uh, went to the moon, I believe it was, scriptures were read, broadcast, whatever, but the Bible was uh, basically a factor there. It says, after the eagle, the lunar module landed on the moon's surface, surface, Buzz Aldrin held a private communion service and read Jesus' words from John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Praise God. Amen. So that is how God is honored and he honors the nations and the people. I'm not saying they're perfect. They are fantastic, etc. 
but uh, these men, Buzz Aldrin, I mean, CNN, BBC are not going to tell you that, but it's, you can, you can Google it. So he held a private communion service, who? Buzz Aldrin. He read Jesus' words from John 15, 15. After landing on the moon's surface, if a man, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, I am him, he will bear much fruit, etc. Praise God. So, God bless these, these people. God bless America. Amen for this. And it's not an accident that God, despite its imperfections, uh, it's not an accident that God set this nation on high. I've always said it. And we have to be objective and Whereas we are very quick to criticize this, uh, the USA as a superpower. But uh, this is the one nation that has sent more missionaries out into the world than any other nation in the history of the world. Besides uh, Britain, I mean, maybe the two can uh, compete. But uh, the point is, it's not by accident that, you know, they went to the moon. No other country has been to the moon. God said, I will set you on high if you honor him. Can we all agree about that and say amen? I'm not saying if you want to go to the moon, you have to be a Bible believer, <laughs> praise God. Uh, these atheist Russians went to outer space. They were the first. God allowed them. And apparently the Russian cosmonaut Yuri Gargarin said, ah, he's in space. There is no God here. I don't know if this is true or, or not. But uh, uh, where is the Soviet Union today? Uh, gone in the dust of history. If you, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, is what the Bible says. Amen. So, uh, next time we'll criticize the USA but today we bless them <laughs> praise God because they have many uh, Bible loving people and I love that about the USA so let's continue let's go to a conclusion you see let me say a word or two about the attitude that should accompany tithing or any giving to the Lord 2 Corinthians 9 7 says every man according as he purposeth in his heart so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Can somebody say amen? So now from our minds, our heads saying, yes, I will give, it needs to come down to our mouths. Give with a smile. Say, give with a smile. You know, you can say whatever you want about giving in Africa, but I've always seen, I've never been to a church in Africa, and I'm speaking about South Africa, Kenya, Uganda, Ivory Coast, Ghana. I've been to all these countries. And I'll tell you what, I've never seen them give without singing and dancing. That seems to be the most joyous part of the service. Everybody is happy. And this is Africa. They don't, they're not rich in material things. And people in, sorry, Europe in the West, who are supposed to be loaded, millionaires, uh, you see them look skeptical, you know. They seem to frown the moment you mention giving to God. Uh, I'm exaggerating a bit, but I don't think in the West we give with great joy. Yeah? It's like the basket is passed around and it's like you the basket has become like a gun being held to your head. Give or else, God have mercy, Brother Victor. Amen. But uh, uh, God loves a cheerful giver. May we give cheerfully. Praise God. With joy, with happiness. Jesus loves those who love to give. Don't you covet the love of Jesus? Don't you want the love of Jesus? You know, I, I like to put it this way. There is a special place in the heart of Jesus 
for those who love to give to him. Ah, I hope that makes a difference. There is a special place in the heart of Jesus for those who love to give. David was such a man. David was such a man. Yesterday I was telling the young people, or was it yesterday or day before? Well, yeah. Uh, he's, I was telling them, how can you young people learn to delight yourselves in the Lord? That is what is written, required today. Young people delight themselves in, in screens and iPhones and iPads and all sorts of things. How can we get them to delight themselves in the Lord? David found a way. He, he just basically made his own harp in the wilderness when he was tending to sheep. He was not going to allow boredom to get the better of him. He started to sing to God. He made God his delight. Daniel was not going to sit and say, oh me, oh my, woe is me in Babylon. He said, I'm going to delight myself in my God. I may be a captive here, but let me tell you one thing. I am determined to serve my God and not to defile myself with the food of Babylon. God, my God still reigns in Babylon. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of thy heart. And I was telling the young people, when you desire the Lord and delight in the Lord, God is going to make your life exciting. He will give you a good reason to continue. So here's David delighting himself in the Lord and suddenly a lion comes. What happens? He smacks the lion. He humiliates the lion. And I'm sure uh, the lion learned a lesson. Don't mess around with people who make that sound, that music, that harp. Those who delight themselves in the Lord. Stay away from them and their sheep, praise God. And the bear learned the same lesson. And finally, Goliath learned the same lesson. When you delight in the Lord, God is, it's not a one-way street. God will delight in you. God said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And God will make your life an adventure. Amen. You will have a CV which says, smack the lion, smack the bear, kill the giant. Wow, what a CV. Amen. So, it all begins with delighting yourself in the Lord. So God loves a cheerful giver. Somebody who delights in giving to the Lord, God will give you back with delight. You know, there's some people who give to the Lord their 10% in a constrained fashion, grumbling. And God will also give back to you grumbling. God will keep his promise, but he will also not be that happy. Sorry to say this, but uh, I think God... The Bible says you sow what you reap. I don't want God to just say, ah, you did this and I'll do this. He should say, oh, you did this. You didn't have to, praise God. And I will bless you. Because Abraham didn't have to do that. Something tells me if Abraham didn't, didn't have the heart to be prepared to kill his son. Come on, how many people does God expect to kill their children? Do you think God will say, go back, you're not worthy to follow me. You love your son more than me. Look, the only reason God to te could test Abraham with that is because few people ever in the history of the world loved God as much as Abraham and was willing, amen, to give such a high sacrifice to God. I don't think God would try that with me. <laughs> I would fail. 
or with many of us. So even if Abraham failed, God will say you are still a great man. Hallelujah. Praise God. You left your country. You left everything. Praise God. Amen. So God will still give you your blessing when you give to him, when you tithe, when you bring offering. But let's go higher. Let's worship. Let's give unto the Lord with joy. Let's go to Mount Moriah. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. You see, what I love about David is no one asked him to give his gold and silver, which he collected through his many wars with surrounding nations. You remember? The man used to go to war because he, it was an opportunity for him to collect gold and silver so he can build the house of God. What a, somebody said, what a crazy guy. You want a war? Why? Because, you know, I have a plan. I love God. I want to build him a house. And so I can't take the gold and silver from my people. But from the Philistines, yes, those uncircumcised Philistines, I'll be happy to take the gold and silver and to give it to my God. And, and so you risk your life. Yes. A man who loves God. He's risking his life with every battle. And then he gathers the gold and silver and his mind, his heart is only to build God. Ah, you know, you can't help loving David. I love this man so much. What a, what a wonderful. Ah, hallelujah. You know, when you love God, it's like I know these people so well. Praise God. They come in my dreams. Praise God. Amen. They, they, God, in a way, blesses with the memory of these people. Hallelujah. It's like you know them well. So, because we meditate about their lives and they speak to us. They're the cloud of witnesses. Hallelujah. Praise God. He was a cheerful giver, David. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 24 and 24, when God punished him. Imagine God punishes you, kills people around you. And you still do not forget this principle of giving to God cheerfully that which is expensive. He said to Arauna at the threshing floor of Arauna or Ona, he said, and the king said unto Arauna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. Hmm. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David never gave a cheap offering to the Lord. Never gave a cheap offering to him. No wonder the Lord testified in Acts 13 verse 22. And I close with this. When he had removed him. He raised up unto them David to be their king. To whom also he gave testimony. and said I have found David the son of Jesse. A man after mine own heart. Which shall fulfill all my will. Wow what a testimony. What a test. All my will. I mean, there were some who fulfilled 80% of God's will, 90%. But this man, all the will of God. May the Lord give us a heart to give cheerfully of our tithes and offerings. Amen. May God make us cheerful givers. Hallelujah. May God bless you upon his mountain. Hallelujah. May God multiply. May he command everything around you to multiply. And may you recognize and discern the blessing of God and bring to him an offering of the blessing that God gave you. Let us pray for this in Jesus' name. Hallelujah.
Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message today. You always challenge us because you want to bless us. We've learned today that you are God. You don't need anything from us. There's nothing we can give you. But you want to bless us. And for that to happen, there is a way, a preordained way through which you bless us. And that is through tithes and offerings. You said, test me, prove me in this. And you accepted the challenge of Jacob. And he was blessed. You made him a, a mighty nation. Blessed him abundantly. Lord, we know that you are a faithful God. Your word is yea and amen. Your promises are yea and amen. We bless you today. We thank you for all the years that you've blessed us. We have had no doubts. We know the difference between your blessing and luck and human favor and accidents and coincidence. But we covet divine providence. Give us divine providence. Increase our produce, our income, so we can give back to you abundantly, Jesus. Give us a heart to give and give us a cheerful heart at that. We pray in Jesus' name that we will never complain, never hesitate, never grumble, God forbid, but give us the heart of David. Let us give as Abraham gave to you. Let us give as Barnabas gave all he had. We rebuke the spirit of Ananias and Sapphira in the name of Jesus. Oh God, we don't want cheap glory. Cheap honor, not at all. And even when we give everything, help us not to sound the trumpet. Let our left hand and our right hand not know what our left hand is doing. Let it be for your glory, Jesus. And only you must testify, I found David, a man after my own heart. Give this grace to your people. We thank you for the doctrine, the knowledge of you, which is salvation. But we don't want to come short in this grace also. So hear our prayer today, Holy One. We bless you forever, whose name is Jesus. And the church says, Amen, Amen. God bless you.